Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 169, dude. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Whoa, not bad, dude. That's right, Pete is finally back. He finally got his beard through customs, so he is with <laughs> me once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. And by that, we mean some game impressions, that means some news, and it also means this week's big topic, which we are calling First Timers. Hmm, what could it mean? Well, it is about our first time experiencing key video games that are out there in the Nintendo universe. But before that, we'll kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a game that came out a couple of weeks ago on Nintendo Switch, Yoshi's Crafted World. Yoshi! Yes, that's right. If you have played the demo of this available in the eShop, then you pretty much know what this game is all about. It is a more relaxed type of platformer. You know, I have complained that some games, like the new Super Mario Bros. titles, have focused you know, too much on collecting and secrets, but that doesn't really fit well with the fast-paced nature of the game. Well, this kind of fixes that. This is just all about the collecting and the secrets, and they've really slowed things down to a much more relaxed, manageable pace, so you can just sort of kick back, relax, and enjoy exploring the world and taking in the visuals and the whimsical arts and crafts style of this game. Ah, so the uh, demo really does hold true. It does pretty much from what I've seen so far. And, you know, one thing that you probably took away from the demo is that the visuals really are very, very appealing. I would say they are probably the game's biggest draw. I mean, right away, off the bat, you'll notice that the characters look really, you know, flocked and felty. Like you could just reach in there and touch them. And <laughs> everything seems to be made out of cardboard or styrofoam or wire or tissue paper, right. paper towel rolls tube cleaners, ceramics, you name it. Anything you might find in like a grade school arts and crafts class. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really cool looking, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, and I would say that holds true in the final game as well. Awesome. And as for the gameplay, yeah, it is very much typical Yoshi. You are on a quest to restore the Sun Dream Stone. And to do that, you eat enemies, you flutter jump, you throw eggs. But, you know, <laughs> I played through about the first nine stages or so, and I just felt, like, invincible. There was, like, no chance that I was going to die <laughs> in this game. Right. And I know there's, like, you know, regular mode and super casual mode or whatever they call it. I was just playing in regular mode. So the challenge is not about getting to the end of each level, but it's in collecting all of the flowers in each stage. You know, each level has a few hidden throughout the stage itself, and then you're rewarded by completing the levels with the required number of coins or health or secret red coins. And doing that, finding it all, is tough. And you can't just ignore it because flowers are your currency to unlock new stages. Right. And some of these flowers, you know, they're time challenges. If you fail, that means you have to restart the level from the beginning. And it's not like you have to get all the flowers in every stage. Right. But if you want to complete it, if you want to get 100%, if you want to do everything the game has to offer, uh, yes, then the game can be challenging in that regard. You know, whether you think that's, you know, good or not, having to restart the level and, you know, like play through maybe 75% of the way through to complete that challenge, you know, is that great or is that infuriating? I don't know. Take your pick. <laughs> yeah, it's for some people. Some people it's not. Did you feel like the challenge was there? Did you feel like, uh, you know, there were times where you were super frustrated or do you feel like it was a pretty good balance of, of like exploration versus reward? Well, like I was saying, the hard part is indeed in getting everything. And, you know, there were a couple of challenges where I failed and I didn't get, you know, all of the flowers in each level. It seems like it's striking a pretty good balance in the early goings of the game, I would say. Hmm, cool. 
And then, of course, you know, after you beat a level, you can still go back into that level and find even more challenges to complete. You know, there are hidden, you know, doodads and thingies to find in the background. <laughs> and eventually you get to play through the level in reverse to find those escaped poochie pups. Right. And isn't there like a robot that gives you an extra challenge or something? Well, there is like a big robot you can play in some of the levels. Yes, that is true. Like there was one level, I think maybe the fourth stage or something. Yeah, you just control like this big uh, cardboard Yoshi mech, and that's pretty much the entire stage. It's not something that's (laughs) added to all the stages or anything like that. But, you know, those reverse stages are there in every single level. And it lets you, you know, literally see things from a different perspective. You know, you can see the insides of buildings instead of just the outsides. And, you know, on the initial run-through level, you might see this house is clearly made of cardboard. But then when you play through it, you're viewing the backside. You can be like, oh, this is actually an inside-out milk carton or something. And you can, you know, specifically tell what these crafts are supposed to be. And again, that's just really, really cool from a visual perspective. Yeah, totally. However, I kind of wish that this whole reverse course thing was integrate into the game in a more interesting way like you know it's cool to be able to play through it backwards it looks great but i just wish it was more integral like you know if you could actually switch perspectives on the fly or keep points in each level i think that would make it a whole lot more interesting from that perspective uh, pun intended (laughs) i see what you did there yeah so it's cool that it's in there but i feel like it could just been a whole lot more than it is Hmm. all right On the other hand, it does have some good variety. Just in these first few levels, I've gone through some colorful, happy towns, train stations, underwater docks, a cave where you have to use these minecarts to solve puzzles. You know, as you mentioned, there's this one stage with the giant Yoshi robot. And then there was a level where you team up with Poochie. You have to use him to overcome obstacles. You won't be able to get past some of the jumps without him. Also won't be able to get all the collectibles without him. And then there's this other level where, you know, you're riding on this train that's constantly moving. You're spending a lot of time dodging obstacles. And another stage, you have to use these magnets to solve puzzles. You stick them onto things to, you know, open doors or maybe use them as steps. And, uh, yeah, just lots of uh, creative innovation throughout the stages I've seen so far. Of course, there are boss battles as well. And how do those go exactly? Uh, they're all right. You know, there's definitely a puzzle element to those as well. The first one I fought, basically, you're just, you know, shooting your eggs into the background and trying to avoid the obstacles that block your shots. The second one, you have to, you know, dodge the boss's attacks and you use the aforementioned magnet then to weigh him down, you know, bring the boss down to the ground and then you have to attack him that way. Yeah. Right. Again, you know, not horribly challenging from what I've seen so far, but uh, they've been reasonably fun. Cool. And I guess I could kind of say that's sort of what applies to the game as a whole. You know, it's very pretty, it's relaxing, it's easy to play, it's got plenty of cool gimmicks. For me, I don't really think of it as a must-have, but I would certainly say it is a worthy addition to the Switch nonetheless, especially if you are a fan of platformers. Yeah, to me, this kind of, I mean, I know we're talking about this in a minute, but kind of feels like Kirby's Epic Yarn or something like that. Oh yeah, I mean, it's the same developers, the same style of gameplay, and uh, yeah, it is very much the evolution of that sort of gameplay, but, you know, now on Switch. It's, you know, looking and playing better than ever, really. Cool. But yes, that does bring us to the next game I wanted to talk about, and that is Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn, which is out now on Nintendo 3DS. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes, well, thanks for setting me up. Yeah, it is a port of the Wii game, and if you played that, you know what it's all about. Kirby has been turned to yarn and gets to explore a world full of textiles. So he is, like, unraveling string and pulling on buttons and zippers instead of sucking up enemies. 
And it's really fun. Well, there definitely is fun to be had, but like Yoshi's Crafted World, it is very relaxing, very casual, and very charming. And again, it's not really about winning. In fact, you don't even have a life bar when you're playing through the game in its normal difficulty. It's just about collecting tons of gems and furniture and patches, and you have to go through the stage trying to acquire as many gems as you can. Now, one thing that's new to this extra epic version is this new devilish mode where you actually do have a life bar. You actually can be defeated and have to replay a level. And what devilish mode is, is this annoying devil actually appears on the screen like every 10 seconds or so and he flies around and <laughs> harasses you and attacks you until you know either he kills you or you smack him and he disappears for a while. So if you thought that Kirby's epic yarn was just you know too darn easy, you'll probably be glad to know, yes, there actually is a new mode that adds some challenge. But the question for me is, why is there no middle ground? Why can't I just play the game with a health meter, but without the annoying devil? <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like I'm your annoying devil. Uh, you are, Pete. You truly, truly are. <laughs> I'll agree with you there. I wonder if on a future console, uh, Yoshi's Crafted World will come out with an annoying flying devil. <laughs> Who knows? It very well may be. <laughs> there are also two new mini-games added to this version of the game. There is Slash and Bead starring Meta Knight, and then there is DDD Go 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 starring, obviously, King DDD. And Slash and Bead is this very action-oriented mini-game where you're just sort of slicing up enemies constantly as you fly along. And then DDD Go 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 is a race-style platforming challenge where you just try to get the best time and grab all the gems you can. And both of those are pretty enjoyable. Slash and Bead, I would say, is especially fun. Can I hear you say DDD Go 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 one more time? Uh, oh, if you pay me five bucks. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, this game also adds some amiibo functionality. I haven't experimented with that too much, but it seems to grant you temporary special powers if you scan a certain amiibo. Amiibo! Another change I was hoping the game would have, but it does not, is 3D stereoscopic visuals. If you are hoping for those to be in there, uh, no, you're totally out of luck. It is just in 2D like the original Wii game. For me, that's kind of very unfortunate. I think the game would really benefit from having stereoscopic 3D. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and because this does take, you know, sort of like, you know, almost photorealistic graphics that were on a console game and port them down to a small screen, you really lose a lot of the visual fidelity and you really can't appreciate these really cool textile visuals like you could on the Wii. Yeah, it makes sense. So, you know, from a visual standpoint, it's definitely a step down. I do appreciate the additional content. It is a must-have game. It really might be the last big 3DS release from Nintendo. So in that regard, it kind of might be worth picking up. But, you know, just taken on its own. Is it a must-have? I would say probably not. Uh, is that K-N-O-T? Uh, obviously. <laughs> nice. Good pun, by the way. Did it make you laugh? Uh, it left me in stitches. Nah. Moving along then, that was a console game that had come to handheld, and then we have a series best known for being on handhelds coming to console, that being Nintendo Switch. Objection! Overruled, Pete. No. But, yes, you are correct. This is Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy, and the verdict is now in. <laughs> yeah? Yes, you know, this is one of my favorite game series out there. It is now on Switch for the first time. And, you know, this game is not for action fans. It is for fans of mysteries and humor and great characters and great writing. And lots of reading. Yes, lots of reading. It has 14 cases spread across three games in which you investigate crime scenes, talk to witnesses, find clues. Then you expose criminals' lies in court by presenting key pieces of evidence. 
there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on here. You know, this is not a serious game at all, despite the name attorney <laughs> being in the title. You know, you investigate a murder on a kid's Power Rangers style action show. You <laughs> interrogate a parrot. You encounter a clown who quotes the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the A-Team. Wow. You deal with a security guard named Wendy Oldbag. <laughs> it is very goofy. It is totally nonsensical compared to how real law works. There's not even a jury, and that can only be a good thing. So, yes, if you have any interest in something like this, you should probably check it out. If you've never played these games before, this is a fine place to start. What is your biggest draw to this series? Is it the humor? Is it the goofiness? That's probably the mysteries, but, you know, the humor and the characters are also a really big part and parcel of that. It all just goes together really, really well. I mean, also the music, the aesthetics, it's all just one complete total package. However, with all that said, with all those things I like about it, you know, I still prefer the 3DS version over the Switch version. I feel like the series just works better with dual screens. I mean, yes, these games were originally developed for the Game Boy Advance, so a single screen is okay, but it is a lot nicer when you can dedicate one screen to the graphics and dialogue and the other screen to inventory and stuff like that. Hmm. Also, the widescreen presentation means that a lot of the artwork is covered up by text than it is in previous versions of the game. And more importantly, there are no voice commands. And in the 3DS and DS versions, I just love yelling objection and take that <laughs> into the microphone to present the evidence. And that is obviously not available in this version. You're a weird guy, Hoffman. <laughs> it's fun, man. Try it someday. In fact, you can even try on this version, even though it doesn't do anything. Just try yelling objection onto the screen when you're presenting the evidence. Maybe while I'm riding the subway. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. <laughs> Anyway, you know, the Wii version of this game added motion controls sort of to make up for the lack of microphone controls. You, know, you could do sort of a pointing gesture to present the evidence, and you could play it that way. It didn't work perfectly, but, you know, it was a nice inclusion. But there is nothing like that on Switch. Mm. You know, it would really make sense if you could do that with the Joy-Con, especially since it has improved motion controls over the Wii Remote. But it's not here. In fact, there's not even a single Joy-Con option, which to me just seems lazy. It's like it's either two Joy-Cons or the Pro Controller, or you play in handheld mode, which at least, in its defense, does have some touchscreen controls. This version also adds multiple save slots, and it does support multiple languages as well. It has English and Japanese in this version, and there are more on the way in the form of a patch. Also, it does have HD graphics, but... The visuals haven't really been improved since the 3DS version, so, you know, there are some scenes that had a low detail before, and that was fine, because everything was on a small screen. But now these same areas still have no detail, but they're on the big screen, they're just <laughs> kind of blown up and blurry, and that is kind of irritating. Right. Also, the text flow was not readjusted for widescreen, so it's like all bunched up into like half the screen, even though there's now tons of screen real estate to work with. It just feels like sort of a bare-bones port. I mean, you know, by now, Ace Attorney is more than 15 years old. I mean, this is basically a retro collection at this point. <laughs> and it just feels like something like this should have all kinds of bells and whistles, like an art gallery and a music player that would make it worth a repurchase for veteran fans, but it just doesn't have anything like that. That's too bad. Yeah, so, I mean, I can think of a lot of ways this could be better, but with all that said, yes, it is still an excellent series. It's still a lot of fun. Ultimately, the 3DS version is better, I would say, and buying it yet again is kind of a hard sell even for me. But, uh, I mean, bottom line, I love Ace Attorney. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm actually considering picking this one up because uh, I did play one of the Ace Attorneys. I believe, I know this is sacrilegious, but I played it on iPhone. Ah, okay. And, and I did actually enjoy it quite a bit. So I don't know. I, I feel like for the price, I feel like this is probably a good purchase. Yeah, I mean, if it's something that piques your interest at all, totally check it out. I think you'll probably like it. All right. I rest my case. <laughs> nice. Moving on then to something that is conceptually the complete opposite of Ace Attorney. <laughs> it is another Switch game, however. We are talking about Mextermination Force, which came out last week. Mextermination Force. Yeah, Pete, I don't know if you've started playing this game yet, but it is basically Contra meets Shadow of the Colossus, where <laughs> you are fighting these humongous mega mechs, these giant robots the size of a skyscraper. So far, I have found the game to be really responsive. It has some really fluid character movement and, you know, straightforward, simple controls. You jump, you shoot, you crouch, which locks you in place and lets you fire in any direction. And then you also have a grab ability that lets you climb up vertical surfaces. There's also a melee attack that's required to smash the enemy's core. It's a character-specific move, like the character I've been playing uses an electric guitar for the move, but one of the female characters has this giant hammer, but it functions the same for everyone. What the? I didn't even know you could change characters. Well, I don't think you can change characters after you've started the game, but yes, there are four distinct characters to play as. Who have you been using? Um, I don't know, but I think it's just the default dude, and he, he has a baseball bat as a melee weapon. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I went with the Rockstar guy, I guess, because I thought he looked the most like a Contra character. <laughs> awesome. So, Pete, since you have picked this game up, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. The gameplay is really fun. You know, just the fact that you're fighting bosses over and over again is really fun. I think the... Um, yeah, it's basically a big boss rush mode. Yeah, exactly. And even the uh, in-between bosses, the little kind of camp you walk around in, mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of the Bionic Commando remake that came out like 10 years ago. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that you know, even though it is mostly just finding these giant mechs, there is plenty of other stuff in there. There is this camp to explore, and there's a shop there, so you can buy new weapons. You can get, like, a flamethrower and a spread gun <laughs> and a laser, and you can even upgrade your health meter, and you can replay bosses to try to get a higher score or to earn extra cash. Plus, you can just walk around and talk to NPCs. Yep. But really, you know, it is the action. It is going out there and fighting these giant bosses that is so much fun, and each one is sort of like this big, complex puzzle with multiple attack patterns. And of course, you know, your goal is to avoid those attacks and find the core and obliterate them. Right. And I, and I really feel like it strikes that good balance of where you're like sort of frustrated because you know what you need to do, but you can't quite do it because like a certain thing like knocks you off every time. <laughs> but well, sort of. I mean, for me, I found it to really be a learning experience. And it kind of reminds me of Punch-Out in that, you know, there is a puzzle element. At first, right. maybe you don't know. Like, there are some bosses where I'd be like, oh, what the heck is going on here? I'm just being <laughs> overwhelmed like that giant snail, you know? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I can't even tell what's going on. I'm being totally shot at, and I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm just dead. I'm already dead. But then you keep playing. You keep trying. Like, okay, I figured this out. And it's like, oh, now it's got a second form. And then you finally figure out how to do that. It's like, oh, it's got a third form now. And it just keeps getting more and more complex. And as you play, you just keep getting better and better. And so... You know, at first you might be terrible at this boss and then by the end you're able to get through hardly getting hit. Yep. And it is really fun to just learn these patterns and figure out what's going on. And it's like, okay, now I'm going through. It's a cakewalk. No problem. And yep. that's very, very satisfying when it all clicks. Yeah, to bring these giant mechs down to the studs is awesome feeling. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, the game does have a two-player co-op mode, Pete. Have you tried it in two-player? I have not, but uh, I can imagine it being really fun. 
yeah, I mean, I really, really want to try it in that mode. I mean, it is plenty fun just in single player, but co-op really feels like where it's at. And so I cannot wait to give it a go in two-player mode. That should be really fun. Yeah, and it just feels like the perfect game for Switch because, you know, you've got two controllers all the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, as much as I like this game, I do have just a couple negatives going on. And that's mainly that sometimes things can just get really confusing amidst all the action and chaos, especially when the screen really zooms out. It's like, where the heck am I? What's going on? (laughs) Everything's exploding. Where am I? And you might just take a whole bunch of hits, not really realizing what's going on at that moment. Yeah, that definitely did happen to me a few times. Now, there is an option to turn on character markers, and I haven't tried that yet, but it's possible that could alleviate that problem. Yeah, then you got a stupid character marker on your screen. (laughs) Yes, that is true as well. And then I don't really consider this to be a negative. In fact, if anything, I would say this is a positive, but playing this game really does make me wish that it were kind of more of a full action game. I mean, this is great, destroying these bosses is super fun and there are some parts where you actually are like running along doing platforming like that boss on the bridge that's you know chasing after you and it just kind of makes me think oh man if this were a full regular contra style run gun game this game would be amazing but you know even without that you know the game is really really fun i mean i think saying that i wish were more contra like is actually the highest compliment (laughs) so yeah i am really digging this so far i mean sure I would love to see the developer, like, make a full-on Contra game. But, I mean, what's here, I would say, is really, really fantastic and comes highly recommended for anyone who likes action games, or Contra for that matter. Yeah, totally. I can't recommend this game enough, especially, you know, the price is only, like, eleven ninety nine. Now, Now, granted, the game's not super long from what I understand, but at the same time, I mean, I've played it a couple hours and I'm loving it. Yeah, me too. And I feel like it has a lot of replayability because even after you beat the bosses, you kind of want to see what it, what happens if you fight it with like a different weapon or use a different strategy on it. Yeah, definitely. I think there is plenty here for the price. Now, I never own Gunman Clive. Did you? I have, but not on Switch. Uh, okay. Yeah, apparently there's some unlockable in there if you do have that game on Switch. Unfortunately, I have not had a chance to experience that myself. Yeah, me neither. Regardless, this game is awesome. Everyone should buy it. <laughs> yes, confirmed. Okay, well, that takes care of our impressions for this week. Why don't we move along to some news? First up in the news, the folks over at Sega have announced that, once again, they are renewing their partnership between Mario and Sonic for some sporting competition. That's right, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020 is coming to Switch in winter 2019. They really haven't said much about the game. All they've really said is that it's the latest in the beloved Mario and Sonic crossover series and that players can experience the Olympic Games events together using the Joy-Con on the Nintendo Switch. That is about as vague as you can get. (laughs) Now, is this series really beloved? I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know, but it certainly seems to be doing well for them. I mean, you know, I've always tried to play these games in the past. I've never really felt super compelled by any of them, but, you know, they've all been pretty all right, I would say. Yeah, they kind of feel like a sporty Mario Party. (laughs) Yes, that's a good way to put it. And I feel like with the capabilities of Nintendo Switch, there should be lots of room for innovative new controls and new events. And hopefully there are lots of these, you know, fantasy dream events that really mix things up and make things more interesting than just a typical sports game. Right. And I'm really hoping for more Big the Cat. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, he needs a lot of exercise anyway, so it makes perfect sense. (laughs) It's true. However, if you're not really into uh, fantasy sports, Sega is also doing an 
Olympic Games Tokyo 2020, the official video game out on Switch. This will apparently be coming out next year in North America. And they are saying that that is a fun-filled sports action game where you can create your own avatar and compete in Olympic Games events with people around the world. Huh. All right. Yeah, sounds like it's going to have a lot of online functionality. But for me, personally, I will definitely be playing Mario and Sonic over just the regular plain old Olympics. Yeah, that's fair. I'd like to see a Joy-Con baton pass game. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see about that. (laughs) Incidentally, they've announced they're also making an arcade version of Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020. Wow. And they claim it's actually going to have physical controls as an actual running and jumping. You know, that being the case, I don't know why you would even play the video game. You might as well just go out and compete in actual sporting <laughs> events. But, um, yeah, I'm just glad that it's in the arcades and not coming to the Switch version. They can keep it there. Um, me and you might have to go to an arcade and play that. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Hey, psst, Chris, I heard a rumor. Oh, really? What's that, Pete? <laughs> uh, you know, about those Best Buy games. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. You know, we don't know if these rumors are true, but there was that leak out of Best Buy recently about some very interesting sounding titles. According to this leak, on the way to Switch, we are going to be getting Metroid Prime Trilogy, some sort of version of Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, and also Persona 5. What do you think of these rumors, Pete? (laughs) Well, I feel like they're all like spot on, except for maybe Link to the Past. Like that one's the one where I'm just like, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely the odd one out. Like, what could this possibly be? We're already getting a remade classic Zelda game, and we know it's not Link's Awakening, so, you know, what the heck could this be? That one sounds, you know, kind of wonky to me. On the other hand, I would love for the other rumors to be true. I mean, Metroid Prime Trilogy, I think, would make a ton of sense, considering how much Nintendo loves ports and how we're just waiting for Metroid Prime 4 to come out. And I think this is a great placeholder. We've talked about that on the show plenty of times before. And also, Persona 5 seems like an absolute no-brainer. So I would love to think that the Persona 5S and Metroid Prime Trilogy rumors are true. Right, and if those are true, then you almost kind of have to think the other one's true. (laughs) Right, right. I mean... Let's be honest, it's not very usual for a retailer to have a leak like this and have it be wrong. So, I mean, more Zelda is always great. It remains to be seen if it's true, but, uh, you know, I kind of hope it all is. Yeah, I'm definitely not mad about it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And speaking of unofficial announcements, how about Nintendo sort of revealing that there's going to be a stage builder in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate? Yeah, that kind of came out of left field. Yeah, I mean, just kind of tucked away there in the little corner of that recent video they put out there. I mean, this is kind of a big shock to me. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be since it was in past Smash Brothers games, but I kind of thought if they were going to include a stage builder in Ultimate, it would have already been in there from the beginning, probably. Yeah, maybe they were just scrambling to get it out the door and were like, (laughs) we'll just do this later. Well, I mean, they have kind of promised there were going to be significant additions in the upcoming updates. So, you know... That seems pretty significant to me. Kind of makes sense from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, but it is exciting nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see some actual significant content coming to Smash Brothers beyond the characters. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder what else they might do. I mean, there's so much already, but like you kind, you kind of think there could still be more tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, it really seems like the sky's the limit with that game. Hey, Chris, do you have any idea how many uh, days are left until Christmas? No, Pete, I couldn't tell you, but 
I can tell you that there are some cool Nintendo-related collectibles coming for this holiday season. Oh yeah? Are these uh, amiibos that you can hang on your tree? Uh, not exactly, but once again, the folks at Hallmark have announced there are going to be several Nintendo ornaments coming out in the coming months. Yeah, these past ones have been really cool, so uh, what do they got now? This year, we are going to be getting, in July, Bowser and Princess Peach ornaments. And I guess that's to complement the Mario and Luigi and Yoshi and Mario Kart they've had in past years. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, really rounding out the uh, Mushroom Kingdom collection. Yeah, while Luigi's still getting the shaft. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sorry he is. (laughs) In fact, he's going to be especially upset come October 5th when they release a couple more ornaments. Yeah, we're getting Piranha Plant. (laughs) Yeah, not only is Piranha Plant in Smash Brothers outdoing characters like Waluigi, but he is now an ornament. Yeah, he gets to be a Christmas ornament. Wow. Freaking Piranha Plant. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's amazing. Yep. Also on that same day, there is going to be Mario on a pipe. We've had other <laughs> Mario ornaments in the past, but uh, this one certainly cool and a worthy addition to the collection as well. That's my favorite description of an ornament ever. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> you think you're going to pick these up and hang them on your tree? I don't know. I really like the ones they made in the past, so I want to give them a look, and if uh, they check out, then sure. Yeah, for me, I would say that Bowser and Princess Peach are definite. Piranha Plant, (laughs) uh, he's pretty likely. And the additional Mario, I don't know. I mean, I've already got Mario, like, jumping on the question mark block, but, uh, you know, I sort of have a gotta-catch-em-all mentality, so it wouldn't be surprised if I wind up with the whole batch. Nice. Now, a lot of these play music, right? Do you know if these ones do? I don't believe any of these do. Not this year. Uh, All right. On the plus side, though, that means they're going to be cheaper. That's true. Last year for Christmas, my friend bought me a a Donkey Kong ornament that plays the Donkey Kong theme. Oh, yeah. I got that one, too. It is pretty excellent. Judging by the quality of the past year's ornaments, these should be pretty great as well. Sweet. That takes care of our news for this week. How about we answer a little bit of listener mail? This week's letter comes from listener Brian Booth, who writes, Now this last episode was right up my alley. I missed Pete, though CJ is excellent, but I'm all about the crossovers. I was thinking that a Kid Icarus by way of Hollow Knight game would be a great idea right around the time you said it, Hoff. Y'all had some great ideas, but here are a few I thought of during your discussion that you didn't mention. I think another studio that could do a great job with Pitt and his crew is way forward. Just imagine them taking the art style from Smash Brothers Palutena's Guidance and running with that in a gorgeous hand-drawn 2D adventure platformer. I've long felt that I'd like to see Meta Knight in a standalone title, and who better to make that happen than Yacht Club Games? I mean, they know a thing or two about knights, right? <laughs> this next one may sound a little weird at first, but hear me out. How about Balloon Fight reimagined as a hardcore platformer in the vein of 1001 Spikes and published by Nicholas? They could breathe some new life into an old school classic and diversify the gameplay and level design beyond the simple joust roots. While I'm dreaming, I'd love to see Toby Fox or the guys at Sidebar Games, makers of Golf Story, try their hand at another entry in the Mother series. I know you'll like this one, Hoff, at least after you try out one of your copies of Guacamelee. <laughs> Drinkbox Studios presents Pro Wrestling The New Challengers, <laughs> a sequel with new fighters, a playable Great Puma, and a cameo from Juan Aguacate, a.k.a. Tostada, the luchador star of Guacamelee. <laughs> and now for my most ambitious proposal, a Blaster Master Zero-style crossover space adventure game starring Samus, Captain Falcon, and Team Star Fox. Need I say more? I don't think so. This letter's long enough already. <laughs> That's a doozy. 
<laughs> Indeed it is. Pete, any thoughts on this since you missed out on our Indie Collaborations episode last time? Yeah, you always pick the cool topics while I'm gone. What's up with that? Oh, well, you are my nemesis after all. Yeah, fair. You know, there, obviously there's a lot of good ideas here. I mean, I always want to see more Kid Icarus in, you know, two-dimension Obviously, WayForward would be perfect for that. Yeah, they'd pretty much be good with any IP, I would say. Yeah, I mean, honestly, all these could work for WayForward. I would also say that Meta Knight doing uh, Yacht Club games, that makes good sense, too. They do have a lot of experience with Knights, although at this point, they're probably done making Knight games. (laughs) Well, not quite yet, but I could see them wanting a vacation, yes. (laughs) Balloon Fight, uh, as a hardcore platformer, I can absolutely see that, and that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, 1001 Spikes is a really fun game, or, or even like a VVV, VVV, <laughs> how many Vs is it? <laughs> it's six Vs, okay. yes, that's a favorite of mine as well. Even something like that. And then, yep, Golf Story it definitely has the aesthetic of Mother, and Guacamelee is amazing. I just can't imagine them actually making, you know, a fighting game versus, you know, a side-scrolling platformer, but I would love to see them try. And then... I haven't played this new Blaster Master Zero, but I've heard great things about it and would love to see anything with Samus, Captain Falcon, or Star Fox. How about you? Uh, Yes, I think those are definitely some fine ideas. Excellent letter, Brian. That's all we have for letters this week. So why don't we take an intermission Uh, and then we come back. Wait a second there, buddy. Oh? What's going on, Pete? I think you uh, you got a vacation while I was gone, but... Uh, oh, no. I think I know where this is going. Yeah, it's, it's time. Just go ahead and say it. It's time to hassle the Hoff. Ah, man. I should have seen it coming. All right, what do you got for me this time? <laughs> Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? What was your favorite thing about me being gone? <laughs> Boy, this is going to be like... This is going to be the shortest or the longest... <laughs> Castle the Hoff ever. My favorite thing about you being gone? Boy, man, there's just, you know, so many <laughs> things I could choose from. I'm not sure how I can narrow this down to just one. How dare you. I mean, I could go with, you know, not having to deal with your uh, unique aroma. I mean, there's definitely that. Wow. Or perhaps the best thing is, you know, not having to worry about having the microphones clogged with beard hair anymore. (laughs) Wow. But, you know, I suppose this is probably the most obvious answer. I think I'm going to go with being able to play my Final Fantasy games and other RPGs without the worry of you coming in and erasing all my progress. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that is probably the biggest benefit of all. You're going to keep going back to that one, huh? I am. I really am. (laughs) All right. I feel like I must have scarred you for life. Pretty much, pretty much. All right, that's acceptable. Okay, then. With that taken care of, let us take our intermission, and then we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, first-timers.
All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which we are calling first-timers. There are just some moments in your life that stand out. There are things that make permanent, indelible memories, things that stick with you, and you can think back and say, yes, I was doing this exact thing on this exact day when I heard that news, or things of that nature. And that goes for video games as well. The first time that you played a legendary series or a game that just stood out to you in some special way. And that is what this week's big topic is all about. It is our memories, it is our reminiscences of those first-time experiences of playing some of those landmark video games that have stayed with us for years and years and years. Ah, yes. Reminisking. Yes. And I figure there's probably no better place to start on this topic than going to video games main man Mario himself. Pete, I want you to get into the Wayback Machine and tell us about your first time experiencing Mario. Well, Chris, I think my first encounter with Mario was at a arcade cabinet in a burger place called Herfie's. Okay. <laughs> it was like local to the this, Seattle but... area. All right. And, um, you know, but Donkey Kong was really hard. And <laughs> I feel like I could never really get past like I don't know, maybe two or three levels. That was the tops at that age. Yeah, I never played it much in the arcade myself. It just was a quarter eater. Anyways, if I skip forward to when I first really got my hands on Mario properly, that had to have been Super Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember seeing it behind the counter, the, the game box, at a store in Everett, Washington. Okay. And this store was kind of like a, you know, kind of everything, a department store. It was called Jaffco. Okay. And that later became Best. I don't know. If, All right. If anyone remembers and is old as me, they might might know this. Yeah, I remember Best. It was my go-to spot for video games. What drew me into Super Mario Brothers was the box art. I remember I could see Mario on the cover. You know, there's a little fire. Yeah, he's about to fall into a pit of death, I think. <laughs> he's jumping. He's got action lines on him, like he's moving. And then I remember, you know, it's behind the counter. I can't actually touch it, but I asked someone to grab it and bring it down. And sure enough, I'm looking at the box, and on the back, I remember the screenshots. I remember that there was, like, a swimming one, and there's one where he's on the bridge, and there's one, you know, with some turtles in it. And then they had the caption, Do you have what it takes to save the Mushroom Princess? Mm-hmm. So did you already have an NES at this time? I did. I definitely did. And I remember I was thinking, like, what am I going to play next on this thing? And I think it was my sister that took me to the department store. And uh, I think she was going to buy it for me. And I think she did buy it for me because, you know, mm -hmm. I was eight years old Generous. and had no money. <laughs> and, um, yeah, went home with that. And I remember playing it until I had a fever. <laughs> I was just like All so right, that's some quality gaming. I was literally so worked up from playing Mario Brothers that like I could like you could take my temperature and it would be like three degrees hotter alright well time to stay home from school then <laughs> I, I don't know it just ever since then um, obsessed with games well understandable my introduction to video games was somewhat similar as far as Mario is concerned, and I've probably told this story in the podcast before, but for me, it really started in my youth with a visit to my relatives in Illinois. And that's how I was first introduced to the NES and to lots of other games. And basically, this is my origin story. <laughs> you know, I was out there, 
I was visiting my cousins and they had an NES. I had never really played one at that point, but you know, they showed me the system and most of the games were forgettable. In fact, I really literally don't remember almost anything else they had except for Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and they showed me this game and it basically changed everything. Like up until now, all I really knew about was Atari 2600 and a few arcade games. But, you know, seeing this, it really opened my eyes. Like, wow, side-scrolling stages and secrets like hidden mushrooms and warp zones and cool power-ups. And it really made me realize the possibilities of video games. And, you know, they showed me this game when I first saw it. I was, you know, not a gamer at all. But by the time I was done <laughs> with this visit, you know, I was like worshiping at the church of Nintendo. <laughs> Totally. It's like, whatever they're selling, I'm buying. Yeah. And I totally sucked at this game. And I really had a very hard time with those moving platforms on World 1, 2. You know, the ones that would you know go up and down. Most of the ones <laughs> that go down. I couldn't time my jumps properly and get past those. But, you know, I just kept replaying level 1, 1 and 1, 2 until I was able to, you know, finally get a little bit decent. But... Yeah, that was where it all started, was uh, playing that game at my cousin's place. Uh, of course, this life-changing visit concluded with me staying the night at their place and then uh, Castle Grayskull falling off their shelf and conking me on the head in my sleep. <laughs> and I think that somehow you know transformed me from a mild-mannered lad into the lifelong gamer I am now. But yeah, that's how it all started for me with Mario and you know Nintendo in general. Yeah, basically turned you into Captain N. <laughs> more or less only without the powers <laughs> did you wake up yelling i have the power i think i just woke up and said ouch <laughs> yeah but you're right i mean that was for me that game transformed the way i viewed video games i mean it it brought you to a world that you couldn't go to otherwise yep absolutely and speaking of series that transport you to a whole new world, what about The Legend of Zelda? So I remember reading about Zelda in, I think it was Nintendo Fun Club newsletter. Okay, that makes sense. And um, not exactly sure or why or how I was so hyped up about it. Probably that gold cartridge. So I, I knew it existed, and I don't remember how it came into my possession, except for the fact that I remember my mom tracked down like the only copy left. <laughs> and I'm not sure, you know, in what capacity. I, I don't really remember the moment I had it, but I do remember turning it on and playing it for the first time. And I just remember playing it forever. Like, I remember not wanting to turn it off. Mm -hmm. I remember... Yeah, Zelda games will do that. Yeah, I remember then I would play, and then, like, at a certain point, I would need to go to bed, and I would, like, let my mom play while I was sleeping <laughs> and maybe she would find some like area that I'd never found or like you know she'd never go into like a dungeon without me but like as far as exploring the map and figuring out you know where some rupees are and stuff that was awesome awesome help wow convenient but to the point of my first experience I remember you know you run into that first cave you see you get your sword I mean I had played games of this style on earlier systems like in television you know I had some of these earlier consoles, but Zelda was a different thing. It was very fast paced. There's enemies, there's multiple enemies on the screen, you know, in little doing rhythmic patterns and shooting stuff at me. And I remember just being floored at like how expansive this game was. 
Yeah, that it is. And just for that time to play a game where like you're literally in a graveyard and then you're in a forest and then you're in like, I don't know, like a mountain area and a desert. It was definitely mind blowing at that time. Yeah, it certainly did a lot of things that other games did not. I remember for a long time, I got stuck trying to find the gauntlet to move boulders. Okay. So it went off for a little while. I kind of almost like gave up because I was just like, I don't know where the heck this thing is. And if you've ever played the original Zelda, without a map or without the internet, it is really hard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, It can be pretty confusing unless you take lots of notes and you know have other friends to talk I to. I mean, and things stuff. could literally be like under any boulder. Like you got to burn every single tree. You just don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You literally don't know where things could be. So anyways, I remember my sister taking me over to her friend's house and she had her cousin over or something and him and I started talking about Zelda and then he showed me where the bracelet was found and I remember like rushing home and beating Zelda not too long after that. Nice, nice. Anyway. How about you? Well, for me, it didn't go uh, you know quite like it did for you. The first Legend of Zelda game, you know, really didn't captivate me that much. I remember seeing that one at my friend Mike's place. You know, that was after being awakened to Nintendo by my cousins. <laughs> and I was playing a lot of Nintendo at this friend's house, and that included the Legend of Zelda. And I didn't quite get it at first. You know, I didn't love the visual style. I was very confused about what to do. And I would see him playing the game. He's just like burning every bush. I'm like, why are you burning every bush? Is this a bush burning game? Anyway, I didn't really, <laughs> you know, get it at that time. He also had the NES Player's Guide. You know, and that showed Zelda 2. That's a side-scrolling, side-view game. And that looked awesome. I'm like, oh, so, you know, sword swing and stuff and not a top view. That looked really cool. And, you know, that game I got and, you know, it blew me away. I loved it. When it comes to important memories about these series, I want to fast forward to the Super NES era. Mm. And during this time, Nintendo held some tours where they were showing off pre-release Super Nintendo games. And one of these tours came by local school campuses and they were demoing a bunch of the Super NES games. And, you know, I was super excited about the Super NES <laughs> and I played games like Smash TV and WWF Super WrestleMania. <laughs> but most importantly they had Link to the Past before it was out. Mm -hmm. And I played this game, and man, it like literally gave me chills. <laughs> I was absolutely mesmerized. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the rain. Just everything clicked. Like when I first played the original Zelda on NES, like, you know, I was coming to it kind of late to the party. Nothing really clicked. Nothing really made sense. I didn't really get the true experience. But coming to Link to the Past just fresh like this, I loved it. And it totally made sense. And what was sort of confusing to me on the NES was suddenly just calling to me now. And I was like, man, I love everything about this game. I love the way you move. I love the way it looks. I love the tools. And man, the game probably came out maybe two months later and I could not wait to get that game and you know as i mentioned many times it is still my favorite game to this day so you know that is my early introduction to the legend of zelda that's awesome i i will say the other thing that stands out in my mind is just the gold cartridge yeah yeah like you know in a sea of gray drab kind of looking cartridges this thing felt special it was like you know part of the triforce <laughs> yeah for sure I definitely agree with you there. Even though that didn't exactly sell me on the original, it certainly helped sell me on Zelda 2, and it certainly makes the games always feel very special. I wish they had gone with the gold cartridge for everything else, with the Super NES and everything else beyond that. I know we got it on the N64, but yeah, it would have been nice if they had continued that tradition even to today. Yep. 
So to complete the Nintendo trifecta, we then have Metroid. And this was a game that, like Zelda 2, I also learned about through the NES Player's Guide. This wasn't one that I played at any friend's house or anything like that, but it was one that I got to see a lot of the world through that official Player's Guide. And I just felt like this game was calling out to me as well. Just the world, the visuals, just the whole sci-fi, you know, cyborg bounty hunter thing. You know, I really liked Samus's outfit and just seeing these big worlds and maps you could run through and these cool power-ups you could get just all seemed really, really cool to me. And even though I didn't get a chance to experience it firsthand myself, you know, this just looked amazing. And so I bought it basically as soon as I could once I had an NES. And it's like, wow, you know, this this really is something different. It's not, you know, going through a Mushroom Kingdom, stopping people <laughs> like uh, in Mario. It's not a fantasy world like Zelda. This is something really cool. You know, it's it's sci-fi. It's shooting. You know, I was a big Star Wars fan growing up and sort of, you know, tied into that a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I just remember, you know, playing through it and exploring and, you know, getting my butt kicked, really, because <laughs> it was pretty tough and getting really lost because I didn't know anything about the need to draw a map or anything like that. But I just loved that world and being immersed in that. That's my takeaway from Metroid. Yeah, mine's pretty similar. I mean, I remember just starting a game and being like, well, what do I do? Oh, I can now turn into a ball. Oh, I can now bomb things while I'm a ball. Just the progression and being able to, yeah. you know, kind of explore these worlds. And as you said, the game's so atmospheric. I definitely remember, like falling down a pit and then not being able to get out because <laughs> you didn't have that much health and uh, you're not very good at jumping when you're eight years old or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember falling and having a hard time getting back up. Yeah, that could certainly be an issue. I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> and then, of course, I remember like a fake pit where you jump in and you realize there's like a false bottom and you end up going into like some secret chamber. And yeah, that game had a lot of crazy secrets in it. It really did. And without a map, uh, you were pretty much done. So I feel like everyone <laughs> who had Metroid also had that, like the black player's guide. Yeah, you know, even though I keep talking about that player's guide, I actually did not own it myself until many, many years later. It was just something I saw at my friend Mike's house. And it taught me a ton about these games, but I didn't actually acquire my own until, you know, well past the NES era was over. But yeah, I think more than anything, the soundtrack stands out in my mind. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great aspect of that game as well. Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, some of that music in there, you know, especially when you're trying to get down into Craid's Lair, that really, really was kind of haunting and stuck with me for years and years to come. It's a good point. All right, where are we going next on Memory Lane? Well, I was kind of wondering if you had any experiences to share about Pokemon. <laughs> it's so funny because Pokemon is like just a, such a different time period and, you know, a different time in my life. Yeah. I mean, that came out, you know, like 15 years after the NES almost. So yeah. understandable. Yeah. So flash forward, I remember there was a review in EGM about Pokemon red and blue mm -hmm. and it got something like an eight point something, if I remember right. Okay. Not a bad score. Not a bad score, but to be quite honest, I thought it was just a baby game for babies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure what to make of it either. I mean, I heard about the Pokemon phenomenon in Japan, but uh, yeah, I was like, is this really any good? Is it just a lot of hype? Is there actually a good game back there? Yeah, so it's funny. I think I maybe talked to somebody who had played it and somebody swore it was fun. And uh, 
long story short, I ended up having my girlfriend at the time go into a store and buy it for me. Because <laughs> uh-huh. you were too embarrassed? Yeah, I kind of was. I, th- I kind of think I was like, eh, I don't want to be like caught buying this like kids game. <laughs> okay. I had no idea. I mean, I really, at that point, I, I honestly don't think I'd read anything besides, you know, that EGM review and then just heard rumors online about how it was like, you know, a kids game that was really fun. Mm-hmm. But part of me thought, you know what? This is a Nintendo franchise, and it got a fairly good review. I should probably play this. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of my major takeaway as well. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I'm honestly glad I did, because, um, you know, when I first got into that game, I, I remember, you know, obviously the dialogue is, like, <laughs> not really for... I mean, at the time I was, like, 18, 19, that was not really for me, you know, the... The di- yeah, the dialogue is very, very simple. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, I like to stand in the grass. <laughs> Do you like to stand in the grass? Let's fight. But ultimately, I, you know, you fall in love with the characters you see. Uh, I remember the Pokemon that I would encounter. I was like, oh, that's cool. And, and then, who was your starter? Who'd you pick for the first time out? Um, I picked Squirtle. Yeah, okay. And then I made a party. I remember a, a Geodude was a mainstay that you know, mm-hmm. thankfully evolved deep into uh, a golem eventually i think machop was one of my go-tos all right i think i made lapras part of my party as well yeah i can't remember all the others but you know definitely remembered the pokemon and they all stood out in my mind and i think with that first wave of red and blue that 150 it was like an easy number to kind of memorize like you could <laughs> yeah, you could true. almost like imagine them all when you stopped and thought about it yeah. whereas now the series have kind of got crazy and there's you know like 600 800 or something like that yeah i have no idea anymore <laughs> it's true but uh, at that time i just remember being like wow this, this is actually really cool and really fun and and then when i'd encounter somebody else who would play like a, i convinced somebody else to buy it then oh, you actually admitted to people you were playing it yeah huh? of course i mean at that point i was like <laughs> this game isn't like i don't know what i was thinking it's not a baby game for babies i mean in some ways it is, but, <laughs> but you know, then when somebody else would play through, they'd be like, oh, well, I have a party of these guys. And that was the draw where it's like, wow, everybody plays this game differently. And now we're trading different Pokemon because there's some in your game I don't have. And anyway, the rest is history. All right. Pretty cool. How about you? Oh, I don't really have much of history with the classic (laughs) Pokemon games. You know, I just tried it out a little bit to see what all the excitement was about. And unlike you, I was not totally blown away. So I just sort of dabbled in it and didn't really have any phenomenal Pokemon experiences until many years down the line. However, since this is me we're talking about, instead, I will tell you about my first time playing Mega Man. Uh, Of course you will. (laughs) So I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, too. But as far as Mega Man goes, I first, you know, saw some screenshots or, you know, heard about the game in print or something, and I thought he looked really goofy, and I thought the name Mega Man was really goofy. <laughs> the box art was really goofy. Yes, the box art was really goofy. So I was not very excited about Mega Man, <laughs> but, you know, I finally had my NES. I was looking for some new games to play, and uh, Christmas rolled around, and my neighbor Nick came over talking about the gifts he got for Christmas. And he's like, you know, I got this really awesome game called Mega Man. I'm like, <laughs> Mega Man? Uh, come on, that can't be any good. Look at how terrible this box art is and what a silly name it has. But 
He let me play the game nonetheless. And of course, I was absolutely, totally wrong. And I was happy to admit I was wrong. And boy, I was so wrong because <laughs> I thought the game was fantastic. And I loved it. And I loved the music. And, you know, I don't really remember you know, the specifics of, you know, like which enemy I fought first or anything. It was probably Cut Man. Yeah. But yeah, I was really, really captivated by playing it i remember having a really hard time with some of the platforming and i remember that just trying to adapt to how Mega Man moved and felt and just like the physics of moving him compared to mario yeah. was really really tricky like he weighed a lot more and also you know when you stopped pushing on the controller while you were jumping you would just sort of you know stop right. and just fall exactly where you were whereas in mario you still have momentum in the air mm -hmm. and so trying to make some of those tricky jumps or Rather, I made the jumps trickier than they were because I would stop pushing partway <laughs> through the jump because I thought my momentum will carry me all the way through. But <laughs> no, nope. uh, that did not happen. So I would just, yeah, I would just <laughs> fall right into the pit. And I remember having just the toughest time getting through a Lechman stage because of some of those tricky jumps and some of the disappearing platforms. Yeah, I remember those. And also there, you know, some those enemies you couldn't kill with your default weapon. You know, they were too close to the ground and you couldn't destroy them even if you jumped up and shot them. So, yeah, I mean, it was really quite a challenge for me, but that didn't matter. What mattered was I just loved the formula and uh, pretty much everything about it, despite it being such a different experience from anything I had played before. And so, Nick, if you are out there, I totally apologize for doubting you. You know, that's what gave you my love of Mega Man. So thank you very much. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because in hindsight, the name Mega Man is like so basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it just doesn't inspire. It's felt like super generic, about as generic as you can get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than Rock Man, <laughs> yeah. but... Right. Yeah, I was not a fan of that name back in the day. Right. So my funny confession about Mega Man was that I don't think I actually ever owned a Mega Man what? game. I always would rent Mega Man games. Because I always felt like after the first one, I was like, I just rent this and beat it. Now I don't need to own it. Look at you. You're hardcore. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, I think you could rent games for like five days or something like that. And Yeah, so there was this video store near my place, and I remember going there and renting the different Mega Man games as they would come out. But definitely loved it. I mean, the concept of having the boss on the main like title screen. Oh, yeah, being able to do that level select thing, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Like, normal level select was like a cheat that you would do, but being able to actually choose the level, yeah, that right. was great. And, and not only that, but it was the boss you were going to encounter. Like, I'd never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the passcodes, which I don't believe there was one in the first one. That's correct. But I do remember eventually, like, you know, countless sheets in, like, my <laughs> entertainment center, just, like, you know, on anything that I could write on, <laughs> I'd be making these little, like, tic-tac-toe patterns. Ah, uh, nice. Yes. Understandable. Yeah, with either an R or a B to notify whether it was red or blue dot. And, <laughs> yes. You know. Anyway, good times. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because, you know, after I played my friend's Mega Man game, I wasn't able to find it in the store. I really wanted to get a copy for myself. And I do remember calling a video store asking if they had that game because I really wanted to rent it and play it again. And he's like, no, we don't have Mega Man, but we do have Mega Man 2. I was like, holy crap, you have Mega Man 2? <laughs> and I'd already seen that in magazines. I was really anticipating, but I didn't know it was out right. yet. So I went out there and I did rent Mega Man 2 and I did uh, with the cooperation of my brother we did complete the game on the rental but i still went and bought it anyway and you know it's gone on to be like my all-time favorite nes game so yeah i have lots of fond memories of uh, those early days of Mega Man for sure so of course another nintendo mainstay from back in the day was mike tyson's punch out 
Pete, what was your experience like with that one? So obviously, you know, my first encounter with Mike Tyson's punch out was the fact that Mike Tyson was in it. And at that point in, you know, my little, you know, nine year old world or whatever it was, Mike Tyson was probably one of the biggest sports figures there was. Yeah, for sure. He was a major sports figure, baddest dude on the planet. And for me, it wasn't like the game caught my attention so much as it was that TV commercial where it shows, you know, you, know, you can beat Mike Tyson. It showed him in front of all the monitors and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I couldn't really care less about a sports game. But, uh, yeah, that advertisement certainly got my attention. Yeah, same. And I, I honestly don't know if I ever owned Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Maybe maybe I did. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I know I owned it. I have no idea where I got it from. I'm pretty sure I did not go out and buy that game myself. <laughs> uh, if I stole that from somebody, I definitely apologize. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was one of those games where I feel like everybody could just get to, like, some point in it and then not get any further. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. I think that's probably what happened. I think probably one of my friends was like, nope, I can never get past Soda Popinski. You can keep the game now, Chris. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the number one thing that stands out in my mind about that game was just the size of the enemy, right? Yeah, for sure. Because they use some trick where they could make the character out of like different tiles that normally would... Right, like part of it might technically be a background or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And up to that point, you know, you you couldn't put something that big in a game like Zelda or Mario Brothers because there's all the stuff moving, your character's jumping. But this game, you could. And, you know, of course, my little brain didn't understand that. but, (laughs) But the fact that these characters were just monstrous... And they, yeah. and they had facial expression and you could actually see like when they're winking or when they're like little, you know, eyebrows are tweaking or, uh, yeah, the jewel sparkles on their headdress. Yeah. Like, like that, at that time, yeah, lots of cool details. It was, was amazing. And just the feeling that you're like overcoming these big, bad boss guys. Yeah. And for all intents and purposes, it was a boss rush mode. Yeah, I guess you could think of it that way. You know, you're, a boss rush puzzle yeah, game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're really just fighting bosses. You're, there's no, like, other gameplay. So, Class Joe's no boss. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's a pansy. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Like I said, I had really no interest in it, and I don't even know how I got this game into my possession. <laughs> but, yeah, I put it in, and I started playing it. I'm like, wow, this is just incredibly fun. You know, I remember the commercials, but... You know, just actually playing it, being able to, you know, fight Glass Joe and fight Von Kaiser and fight Piston Honda (laughs) and learning these patterns and just going through that sense of discovery that comes with figuring out how to beat each Mm -hmm. one was just really, really satisfying and, you know, turned me into a lifelong fan. Yeah, it's true. And um, I remember I would get stuck on Bald Bull. Ah, yes. That was my nemesis for a while. I mean, even to this day, I can't fight him perfectly. I can still mess that up sometimes. <laughs> he's pretty hard. He you got to hit him while he's charging. And Oh, I know it. <laughs> I remember I had a friend who could do it, so he would like get me past that part, and then I would you know, continue on. But yeah, that was a hard game. And I, I still, to this day, I've never gotten to Mike Tyson on my own. <laughs> All right. Well, now that it's out on the... Uh, NES game service for Nintendo Switch Online. You can uh, do something about that. You know, and I never really mind that they uh, switched to Mr. Dream because I could never get to him anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) I see, I see. Okay, well, let us uh, move along to another classic franchise and how I encountered that for my first time. This time, Castlevania. Mm. 
And this is another one where I was introduced to it by my friends and or relatives. It was my brother in this case, who was like a big horror movie fan. Uh, horror movies of all types, you know, the classic Universal movies, Friday the 13th. Yeah, he also actually got me into the Friday the 13th game, and I don't thank him for that. But I do thank him for introducing me to Castlevania, because he was just, you know, really into that sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's got vampires and werewolves and, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster. Uh and uh, zombies and all this stuff just mixed in here and so he was just really hyped for that and he got me really excited for it as well um specifically castlevania 2 this was around the time that castlevania 2 was coming out and he was like oh yeah you should really be paying attention to this one and so between that and then the nintendo power issue number two cover both of those just you know really combined to make my excitement level sort of go through the roof and so, you know, once we were able to find the game in the wild, we picked it up and I started playing it. And I was just, you know, really amazed by exploring the countryside and going through all these cities. And yes, of course, the horror motif was a huge hook for me. But, you know, also just the music and the graphics and the play control and all of it, you know, were really, really great. Uh, maybe six months later, we found the original Castlevania and we picked that up as well. And that was also a joy to play. But yeah, I actually first got into uh, Castlevania 2, and that was all pretty much due to my brother and Nintendo Power. Did you realize it was a horrible night to have a curse? Oh, boy, did I ever, <laughs> after only about you know five minutes of playing, in fact. <laughs> Not that horrible, in fact. In fact, even a horrible night to have a curse is still a pretty fun night. <laughs> you know, I don't remember playing Castlevania as a kid. I, like, I don't remember the exact moment, but it did inspire me to write a book when I was little, and it was called The Secret Life of Things That Go Bump in the Night. Uh, okay. And it had basically all the same characters in it. Hmm. Rip-off artist. <laughs> uh, I was inspired. <laughs> okay. Well, any more classic games you'd like to discuss your introduction to? Well, yes, indeed, Chris. Because this is Power Pros, you know we probably have to talk about pro wrestling. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. I mean, it's not really one of the all-time classics, but uh, hey, this is our show, so why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my introduction was actually that very same visit where I was introduced to Super Mario Brothers by my cousins. The game had just come out. I remember my cousins like were doing a bunch of chores for my grandfather trying to earn the money to get pro wrestling. <laughs> and so yeah, they like went out and got that game pretty much that day I was over at their place being introduced to Super Mario Brothers. And at that time, I couldn't really care less about pro wrestling. Up until Castle Grayskull fell on my head, and when I woke up, I was like, oh, wrestling is great now. So I think there's some sort of weird connection there. I really do. But yeah, I didn't really get my appreciation of it until many years later. Uh, but what about you? Yeah, I, I think similarly, I, I didn't think professional wrestling in general was all that cool. Like, I wasn't a big pro wrestling fan mm -hmm. but i remember a friend of mine owned this game and i went over to his house and i think we started playing it and immediately fell in love like i just remember it being sort of a precursor to fighting games yeah that's true because you know you two characters both reacting to what the other person's doing the matches would just like last forever because we're like <laughs> punching each other and and not knowing actually how to do the moves <laughs> and then once you start doing the moves you know it's still hard to figure out like who's going to win because you're both button mashing and you're both you know getting super intense on it after you lock up it's hard to really know what's going to happen next yeah and then of course you know you end up getting out the ring and then like immediately getting ringed out because <laughs> you don't realize <laughs> that that 20 second gets counted up real quick yes it does but uh the other thing is just that the music like so in 
infectious, even though it's the same oh, song yeah. over and over again. I feel like I could just listen to it on loop for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, of course, you know, the, the memorable characters, uh, the Amazon and Starman, those guys like all stuck out in my mind just as like, you know, heroes right up there with like Hulk Hogan and things like that. <laughs> all right. Makes sense to me. The winner is you, Pete. The winner is you. All right. Well, I think that is all the games we wanted to cover for this week's big topic. So I suppose we should wrap things up and bring an end to this episode of the podcast as well. However, before we go, we do, as you might have guessed, have time for one more thing, and that would be a dramatic reading. Yes. This week, it is from the Switch eShop description of the game Ghoul Boy. Find powerful weapons, items, and spells to defeat your enemies, and explore a magical realm of dungeons, towns, treasures, and devious monsters. Ghoul Boy is a retro-inspired style action platformer. Exciting new platformer that combines the action RPG genre with hack-and-slash gameplay. 2D action, heroic characters, gloomy environments, demonic bosses. These all seem to excite players a lot. (laughs) Pixels will be combined with other cool retro elements, and the result will certainly be something that will meet the needs of Switch gamers. (laughs) Once in-game, users will get to control a heroic character, who will often be seen throwing a spear to create additional platforms. To boot, puzzle and combat elements will further enhance the experience. You wouldn't want to miss out on it. With the gold that you collect, you can increase your health level, your arsenal of weapons to be thrown away. (laughs) Slay as many monsters as you can, collect loot, avoid dangerous traps, and defeat menacing bosses. Ghoul Boy brings back the look and feel of the very best classic retro platformers from the 90s, introducing refreshed and engaging gameplay mechanics. If you miss platformers from the 16-bit era, and think games nowadays aren't that good anymore, think twice. <laughs> Ghoul Boy is for you. Wow. Features, four bosses, chiptune retro musics, puzzles, three weapons, small sword, big sword, mace, <laughs> two throwable weapons. Did you say musics? <laughs> I did. That's amazing. Yep. Man, the first part of this is written like it's like for investors or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like this is not the eShop description. It's like their internal memo, like pitching the game or something. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just so bizarre. Like, what? Pixels will be combined. <laughs> yep. These seem to excite players a lot. You know, let's put some of those pixels in. <laughs> I've also never seen to boot at the beginning of a sentence. <laughs> Uh, it is a little strange yeah <laughs> uh, the game does look cool though you know i've seen footage of it and it definitely looks interesting but i have not played it myself but um yeah that uh, description certainly uh entertained me at least maybe you should hit up this developer and uh see if they need a writer i'll check into it <laughs> Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
For myself, Pete Michaud. Peace out, Reggie. It's been real. And my ex-girlfriend, Rosalina. Let's go! We will see you next time.